Good morning. It's gotta be May. Happy May 1st. Thanks for uh, clicking on the podcast today. Give me a little self-indulgent today, I'm not going to lie. You know, I was thinking about doing this podcast, and then I was thinking, God, yeah, but does anyone want to hear that? Like, are you kind of just, at this point, are you just kind of, you know, self-serving on your podcast? Like, just audience of one? Who wants to hear two years in business of you reflecting of being in two years in business? Like, who wants it? Who? And then I said, you know what? I'm going for it. Because uh, I don't have any better ideas. <laughs> we could talk about the NFL draft, but it's boring. The NFL draft is so boring. I tried. I stayed up Thursday night and I tried to watch it, but it was just, I can't get into it. I don't watch college football. I just, especially with the Browns not having any picks. Like, it's, but here's the thing even when the Browns have early picks, which they almost always have because they've been bad for so long, I still can't get into the NFL draft, let alone when the Browns have nothing to do with anything. I have a little bit of intrigue in finding out what eventually happens with Baker Mayfield, but honestly, nothing. Thursday night, I stayed up for like seven or eight picks. I wanted to see who the Giants picked for my boys, Tom and Nick Riggio. Uh, but other than that, you know, that first, that guy, the only thing I did find interesting was the, the kid who went second to, to uh, Detroit who played in Michigan. Uh, I thought that was uh, almost unfair. It rem- reminded me, speaking of reflecting, it reminded me on something Brother Weeze used to say. That kid, ate, I want to say Aiden Hutchinson, right? I think that's his name. Um, that kid's going to die and come back in his next life as a freaking caterpillar or something because, like, he's he's – uh, apparently he's got a great GPA. He's he went in the top of the NFL draft. He has a beautiful family. His mom, sister, girlfriend, all of them are just ten out of ten. Yet he's probably an all-around great guy. Uh, I was asking my employees on Friday. I'm like, do, do, do you guys know anything about this guy? Like, is he is he an asshole at least? And they're like, no. I've, actually, everyone kind of thinks he's he's amazing. <laughs> and I was like, it's not fair. You can't be good-looking, athletic, smart, and nice. Right? Like, that's the guy who dies and comes back a caterpillar in his next life. That was Weez's theory on incarnation, was one day you get to come back as that guy. And you, every time you die, you come back a little better, a little better, a little better. And then finally, once you're that guy, or LeBron James, or Michael Jordan, or whoever you want to say, you get to die and come back, and then you got to start over. Now you're an ant, or like I said, a caterpillar. Anyway, can't get into the NFL draft. Baseball started. That gets me excited for about five minutes. I'm, I'm the same guy every year. Baseball season starts. I get super into it. I watch three innings of an Indians game, or I guess, excuse me, Guardians game. And after about the first half of the first game I watch, I go, yeah, it's still just baseball. And then I tune in again like three more times until September. And then I'll watch some playoffs, but up until then. <laughs> so can't get into that. NBA playoffs have been good, I guess. But anyway, let's reflect. Let's talk about it. Two years ago, so I am recording this podcast sitting in the parking lot of Pittsburgh Wegmans on Saturday, April 30th. It is 3.15 p.m. I have just mowed my lawn for the first time this season. Prior to that, I got done with about two hours worth of paperwork for my sauce business, got all caught up on the sauce business, a little bit behind on the manufacturing business, but I have a relatively clear day Monday, knock on wood, to hopefully be able to get to a lot of that. April 30th, the reason that's important is because today, as I record this, is the two-year anniversary of myself and my partner, Tom Riggio, signing the papers 
to buy a company called Permac Enterprises from its previous owner, Tony Perry, a.k.a. Coach Tony. Uh, I want to take you through a little bit of what happened before that, what happened on the 30th, what happened on the 1st, and then, you know, just a little reflecting on what's been going on since. So, uh, I obviously, I did 15 years in radio. I loved radio. I really, really loved radio. And here's a little secret. And this is a lot of times what people will sometimes be taken aback by when I when I say this. People will say, it's too bad you f- fell out of love with radio. And I tell them, I did not fall out of love with radio. I still love radio. Look, what did I just tell you? It's 3.15 on a Saturday. I'm sitting in the parking lot doing a radio show. Granted, it's a podcast now, but it is what it is. I clearly love this business. I love radio. Always have, probably always will. I fell out of love and, quite frankly, lost trust and respect for the company and management that I was working for. We've been over that. There's been podcasts where I talked about that. In a nutshell, it kind of happened in three waves. I would say 2018-ish, it started to occur to me that uh, the, 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 uh, it, was, it was likely eventually going to happen that I was going to have to make a decision and that it would be much harder for me to give up the pasta sauce business than it would be for radio. And I wouldn't call that by any means deciding I was going to leave radio. It was just basically I started to realize in my head, I probably can't do both of these things forever. I'm going to have to choose one. How am I ever going to give up the one that has my literal name on it, right? So that was probably step one. Step two then had to do with um, I basically got taken off of the Weez show and sent over to do mornings on 100.5, and it was kind of in protest uh, because, you know, I I had all these fears of what I thought would happen because that was a music station, and I wanted to do talk radio and be creative and I uh, basically had all these reservations. I said, you guys aren't going to let us talk. You're going to make the music the star. Uh, we need full creative control, et cetera, et cetera. I had a million concerns. They told me all of those concerns were unfounded. Uh, of course, they all turned out to be exactly what happened. And uh, I was pretty disgruntled in the position I was put in. I would say was was probably strike two was that I, I just, you know, was put into a position that I really didn't want to be in. Uh, and lied to also. I was told that I was going to be filling in a lot for the talk radio hosts. Uh, essentially, I was told at, at all times I'd be filling in for Brother Weeze and Kimberly Beck, DeTulio Moran. Who else was there? Carl Falk, Bob Matthews, Bob Lonsberry. Anytime any of them went on vacation. And, uh, and that also turned out to just be not true. So that was really strike two. And that was when I would say I was hanging by a thread. And that was really fall of 2019. Fast forward to January of 2020. The company went through and did a bunch of layoffs. After they did layoffs, they laid off my co-host on 100.5 and also the program director. And uh, this was really the straw that broke the camel's back. I was asked, hey, what do you want to do? And uh, my answer was, well, this, you know, this, I, look, I don't want to see anyone lose their job. So I don't want to say this is great because it's not great. It, you know, I, Pat McMahon, I really loved Pat and loved working with Pat. And the program director, JP, was a great guy, too. Uh, we probably didn't see eye to eye, but he wasn't a bad guy. He just wasn't, you know, it was just wasn't his str- strength. Um, so I said, hey, look, this is great. You know, now it's just just get out of my way. Uh, you know, I didn't say it like that. I mean, that sounds mean and disrespectful. I think I said more something like, hey, okay, great. I, I see what you've done here. Um, leave me to develop this show for you. 
lock me in this room on 100.5, the morning show, and come back and check on me in about 12 to 18 months, and I will have built you a show, okay? And their answer was, no, I'm sorry. Uh, we are getting rid of all local talent on music radio stations. Well, that also turned out to be a lie because that show went to Mayor Pete Kennedy, who, uh, good, great guy, nothing against him personally, but he's a local radio personality. And they just told me I couldn't have that show because no local radio personalities were going to have shows on music stations. So basically uh, lied to again. Um, then it was, well, if you can't have that, what else would you like to do? And I said, well, if I can't have that, honestly, let me just go back to the Wheeze show. And their answer was, no, no, that would be a step back for you. And, and my answer was, oh, no, but don't worry about me. I'm good. I, I will go back. It's no problem. I feel no shame. You know, they, their whole, you know, and they're lying to me, essentially. But they're telling me, they're going, hey, you know, they, this would be a big step back, man. We made you the host of a show. Now you're going to go back to being the producer of another show. Man, especially when it's the show that you used to produce. What a step backwards for you. We don't want to do that to your image. And I was like, no, don't. I'm fine. I am fine. I am good. That's fine. And then when I said that, they said, oh, no, actually, you know what? Remember, Weeze, Weeze may not want you back. You know, Weeze and you at the end of your time with Weeze maybe weren't seeing eye to eye so much. And, uh, you know, we, we just don't know that Weeze will want you back. And I said, no problem. Let me take care of that because I had already kind of talked to Weeze and knew he would take me back. So I talked to Weeze. Weeze told me, absolutely, bro, I want you back. Uh, now, I will say at this point um, in, in real life, in 2022, I have to imagine that Dale Buddha is loved, you know, that he is just absolutely loved and adored because he's a great worker and anybody would love to have Dale on their team, of course. But at that time, because I don't want this to be unfair to Dale, because Dale, I think, is probably a star employee who anyone would love to have. But at that point in time, he was brand new, and I want to say it was literally like his second day on the Weez show as producer. So, again, keep that in context when I tell you what I'm about to tell you. Uh, Weez then told me, basically, said, ah, they stuck me with this new guy, Dale. I don't know if it's going to work out with him. You know, I would love to have Polly back. If you want to come back home, bro. <laughs> Man, I can't do my Weez impression without coughing anymore. Anyway, basically, long story short, he says, well, absolutely, you know, he says, well, bro, yeah, come on back, <laughs> you know. So I call the bosses back, and I go, oh, we're good, we're good. Weeze wants me back, too. So I want to go back, and Weeze wants me back. So this is perfect. And at the time, also, Dale had just come out of being Kimberly and Beck's producer. So it's like, look, it's, it's only been two days. Put Dale back with Kimberly and Beck, me back with Weeze. It's all fixed. You're welcome. I fixed it for you. The bosses say, no, mm -mm, no. We see you as Kimberly and Beck's producer. And when I heard that, well, it was the straw that broke the camel's back. I said, okay, I hung up the phone, and I immediately called my wife and told her, it's official, I'm leaving radio. I think it was Thursday morning, so that was on a Tuesday. Those layoffs and those conversations were on Tuesday. That Thursday morning, so literally like a day and a half later, uh, I drove out to Permac, made up an excuse the uh, owner of Permac at the time, Tony Perry, used to get to work very early. He, he would get to work at 4.30 every morning, and his next guy in wasn't until 5.30. So I made up an excuse that I needed to go pick up some, I don't know, some sauce or some labels, or for whatever reason I had to stop by, and I needed to be super early in the morning. I was going to be there at 4.30. 
And Tony says, great, come on out. So I go out, and uh, basically my con was to find out what he was interested in doing because, again, I had had some hints that maybe he was interested in selling his business eventually. And uh, basically found out in that moment that, yeah, you know, listen, for the right partner and the right money, of course, he would sell his business. So um, I went back and told a couple of key people. I talked to a few of my mentors. I scheduled a lunch with my to-be partner, Tom Riggio, uh, number one mentor of all. And at the same time, Tony went to get with his accountant to try and figure out what his business was worth. The following Friday, so eight days later, I drove out again, and Tony threw out a number and said, this is what we think the business is worth. And I knew what our budget was going to be, and it fit within the budget. And that moment, uh, you know, I kept my cool. We shook hands. Essentially, at that point, had a loose verbal agreement. So this would be late January 2020. Um, and shook hands, got in the car, drove home with the windows down in late January, screaming at the top of my lungs with excitement. Uh, long couple of months later, because, <laughs> you know, closing takes a while. Uh, it's just like when you're closing on a house. Same thing when you're closing on a business. It's just, you know, you don't shake hands and it's over. There's there's a lot of due diligence that has to happen. So for the next couple of months, things are looking good, but there's always that possibility things could all fall through. So you're kind of holding your breath. But at the same time, I'm pretty much saying my goodbyes. On April 3rd, yes, it was April 30th. Thursday, April 30th. Two years ago today, it was a Thursday. I asked, oh, the other thing that had happened uh, is when the pandemic happened, because uh, remember, that's right in the middle of all this. Pandemic happens. I get sent home, and I get sent home without a microphone. They send me home and basically tell me I'm not on the air now. <laughs> you know, <laughs> So here we go. I went from being given a morning show and told I was the, the number one fill-in guy for the whole cluster to being sent home and not even give, given the remote setup to be on the air if I wanted to be. So I basically got delegated to, to next to nothing at that point. So, um, you know, it, 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 you could say the writing was on the wall. I don't know why they didn't fire me. I actually had a – when the pandemic hit, I had about a month there where I was thinking, this is going to work out great because they're going to lay me off. I'm going to get a severance. They don't even realize I'm about to quit. I mean, I was – there was a real period of time there where I was thinking that was a real possibility where I was going to get so fucking lucky that I was just going to get – handed a six-month where I mean who knows what severance packages they were going to hand out but I had been there for 15 years you would think I would have gotten at least six months people who had been there similar amounts of times had gotten anywhere from six to 12 months so I thought I was maybe looking at six full months of pay and then you know and then the only negative on that is I wouldn't get the chance to quit but it would be an even better FU if I just got to take their money for six to 12 months right but okay so I did get to quit I called into the Wii show on April 30th, told everyone how much I loved them and missed them. Nobody really smelled anything on that because of the pandemic. Nobody was seeing anybody. Everyone was working remote. I think to them it just sounded like a corny, you know, I really miss you guys thing, and I'm stuck at home. But in reality, what I was saying was, I'm about to quit. I know how vindictive our bosses are. This is probably the last time I'll ever be on the air with you. So... That's what I did. I called in and basically said, love you guys, miss you guys, thank you for everything. And that was my last time ever on the air was via phone Thursday on the Wii Show. And the funny thing is it almost didn't happen. Deanna texted me that morning to say Wii's isn't sure he wants to do the phone call. And I was like, what, really? You know, come on. And I think 
it divine intervention because I'm pretty sure I had basically written back to say like, well, that really sucks. I'd really like to come on and, and say something, but okay, I get it, whatever. And then she ended up texting me back to be like, no, we're good. Call in at 930, you know, so it like I don't know how it went my way, but somehow because I remember it almost didn't happen anyway. I call in, I do that, I'm on freaking pins and needles all day, I'm on cloud nine, I've never been more excited professionally, I get dressed in like <laughs> like jeans and a button-up shirt, like, you know, base might as well be a tuxedo, drive to the lawyer's office, we meet there at five o'clock, me, Tom, Tony, Perry, and we sign the papers, and, and it's real, and I go home, and we celebrate, and it really, really sucked that it was pandemic, because we would have went out for dinner and drinks, but... Everything was closed. Uh, woke up the next morning. Again, pins and needles. I had it all planned out. The DNC had done a story on me. We had decided to kind of give them the scoop. So they had a big story ready to drop at 10 a.m. I decided I was going to make my phone call starting at 8 a.m. Uh, I had a you know a good handful of people that I really wanted to hear it from me first. And I had done a really good job, too, of keeping it a secret. I don't think anyone really saw it coming at that point. Um but anyway, uh, I also learned that that week they had had a meeting because Bob Matthews had announced his retirement. And in that meeting that uh, my name had come up as his replacement and that the uh, management said no. So really just, you know, even more like meant to be get the hell out of there. This this place is going to be the end of me. Right. So uh, that Thursday morning, I call my manager. Um, he's relatively cordial, but basically says, you know, I got to go. I got work to do because now he's got to go deal with this call my other manager. Uh, he was a lot nicer um, and just kind of was like, you know, best of luck to you. We wish you the best. It's been a pleasure working with you. Then I start calling my clients, both sauce and radio clients, just to kind of let them all know what they were about to hear. And I got through as many as I could. And then 10 o'clock rolled around and that article came out. And it was, uh, you know, it was, it was Rochester viral. It wasn't like, it wasn't actually viral, but it was the type of thing where that article came out at 10 o'clock, and, you know, by 11 o'clock, I had heard from a couple hundred people. And so by that point, everyone who was going to know knew, um, and it was what it was. And that was that was how I, you know, that was May 1st, so that was a Friday. I drove out to Permac, and they were, I remember they were uh, rebottling some olive oil that day. Basically made a little speech. Uh, nobody really seemed to care. <laughs> It's like that was just such a such a shitty first speech. It was like, all right, guys, we're gonna do this. This is the beginning of a new chapter, and everyone's just kind of like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> what does this mean for me? And I guess that is what it's like when a new guy comes in. You know, everyone's kind of thinking. Everyone, quite frankly, is always gonna just be thinking about what does this mean for me and my job, my position. And I get that. And I guess I, you know, if I had a chance to do that opening day speech again, I probably would have done better. But it is what it is. So um, that was a Friday. I really didn't do much that day. That was all about phone calls. The weekend, uh, I remember really Friday and Saturday was a lot of phone calls and a lot of paperwork and a lot of going over things with Tony, with the, the, the owner of the business that I had just purchased. And then I remember taking Sunday off. I remember, you know, Saturday and Sunday were, or Friday and Saturday were very tiring. I took Sunday off. Monday it was to work. And funny story, I walk in Monday. And as soon as I get in, Tony tells me, the bathroom is broken. Don't worry, there's a plumber coming. 
<laughs> remember the first day of walking into this new business that I now own and finding out the bathroom doesn't even work. Like what a and it was in this old little like the back of a pizzeria and we've since moved to a new building, but you know, for the first month we were in business, we were in like the back of an old pizzeria. Just and, and it was so crowded and cluttered and I was like climbing over things and I didn't have anywhere to sit. There was no desk. The bathroom didn't work. It was hot. I just remember thinking like, oh, man, like, you know, like you better be right about this because this is this is no way to live. Uh, and anyway, so the 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 rest, I guess they say, is history. I do want to reflect on some more specific things that I've learned. Those early Permac days were really we were really, really running lean. I mean, there was only three of us. Uh, the, the previous owner stayed on for about a month. Uh, I learned really early on just how fast money can go out the window when you own a business, right? It was like one of the first things I wanted to do was just to get ahead. The, the, the way they were doing it was almost they were running their business almost day to day. It was like uh, they were worrying about what they were going to make tomorrow, today. And uh, the one good, the, you know, the bad thing about that is, of course, it's disorganized and everything is always a fire drill. But the good thing about that is it wasn't really cash intensive because it was basically we're only buying what we need tomorrow. And they were going to Henrietta every day to Restaurant Depot and, and you know, BG Ambroni and Palmer's and all these different. And they basically had one person every day just running around picking up what they needed the next day. And again, like I said, the one advantage to that is it wasn't cash intensive. It was they were only buying what they needed for one day at a time. So the bills every day weren't all that big. Well, one of the first things I was doing was I was saying, well, I don't want that person out on the road anymore. I want that person here. We need the extra body here so that we can do more production. And so we got ahead on ordering. Well, ordering one to two weeks of ingredients at a time was expensive. And that was one of the first lessons I learned was was like cash flow. It was like, okay, that sounds good. Now there goes your money, right? <laughs> like... And I remember in June of 2020, I think I've mentioned this one other time, in June of 2020, I went out to my car and I literally cried. I literally had tears. It is the only time in my professional life that I've ever cried. I had tears in my eyes because it was just, it was the beginning of owning a new business and it felt like for weeks all we were getting was bills and no checks. And that is what it's like at the beginning of a business. It is hard. There is a period of time. I remember that period of time with Google Sauce as well. Uh, but those amounts were much smaller. So it was a lot easier to kind of, you know, absorb. It was like just a period of time where it is money out, money out, money out, and very little to no money in. And it was unbelievably stressful and so for when people start a business i i really i warn them just cash flow is a huge deal it is extremely stressful and you are going to feel like you are bleeding money at the beginning because my experience so far is two for two felt like i was bleeding money for weeks and those weeks add add you know they, those add a lot of gray hairs because those are some tough long hard weeks but once you get rolling checks start coming in things can even out and, and and you eventually get in the positive but man that is a tough tough first few weeks be ready for it I think another thing that I was doing in 2020 that I got better at late 2020 still work on getting better to this day I think I've actually gotten a lot better at this even though I'm not perfect at this and that is muscling the business versus managing the business 
So pretty early on, in, in and I would say for months even at the beginning, all the way through the end of 2020, I was the kind of guy who was just never going to say die ever on anything. I was never going to give up on the day's production plan. We were going to get it done. I don't care if we're there till midnight. And um, I think I, you know, I pissed off some of my guys because my guys worked some late nights, you know. Uh, we brought in second shifts, overnight shifts. We switched people's shifts. We brought in part-time employees, temporary employees, et cetera, et cetera. We did everything we could to make sure we never, ever missed a production goal. And on the one hand, you can say, hey, that's you know phenomenal. You never missed a production goal. But on the other hand, it was not sustainable. It was unhealthy. It was long, ridiculous, unhealthy hours. And I don't know if in the long run you accomplish more. Sure, that day you might get an extra kettle produced that you may not have produced if you didn't work so hard right and part of me and I think the part of me back then would have told you I would have bullheadedly told you well yeah but you know that one extra kettle we do today that one extra kettle we do tomorrow that one extra kettle we do the next day that all adds up and that's that's huge right and sure I guess it does but you burn out you burn out and maybe you can do that for a couple of weeks maybe you can do it for a couple of months but eventually, you burn yourself down and you get to the point where it's just not sustainable. And so learning how to manage the business instead of muscle it. What do I mean by that? Okay, when, when the cards go against you, when a piece of machinery breaks down, when an employee calls off, when whatever reason happens, you can't get the production done that you want to get done, what you do instead of muscling it and saying, screw it, we're going to get it done anyway, is you manage it. You take another look at your schedule. You figure out how can you reschedule. Now you get on the phone with your client. You talk to your client to try to understand their due date. Do they have any room? What can be done to, to get this done without having to kill your guys, basically? I've gotten better at that. That's something I am better at two years later than I was as a rookie business owner a couple of years ago. You know, being a small co-packer in general is hard. A lot of things do kind of come around that, that can that can throw a real wrench in. It actually, just yesterday, Friday, we had three people out. Three out of, what is it, what are there, eight of us? So what is that, almost four? I don't know, what's, what percent, three of eight? Forty-three percent? Forty percent? I don't know, whatever. Three out of eight people gone. So three out of eight people gone you're not going to get done what you thought you were going to get done. You're just not. And that's one disadvantage with the amount of automation we have. We have automation, but we're not fully automated. We're still doing plenty of things manually. And that's going to slow you down. Advantages to being a small co-packer, just that. The, the other advantage to be a small co-packer is you can turn on a dime, change from one product to another several times in a day. Big co-packers can't do that. But on the other hand, I'm learning why they don't do that. It's not necessarily that they can't do that. I think a lot of times they won't do that because downtime, switchover time, cleaning time, that's loss of money. Time is money, as they say. And if you're not putting sauce in bottles, you're not making money. And I get that. And I understand that. We just ran a project for somebody where we ran the same thing for almost two straight weeks. And first couple of days, you know, you're learning the product. We, we had certainly had some bumps in the road those first couple of days. But after those first couple of days, we we're just running the same thing over and over every day. It got really, really easy. It became easy because we just we knew this product. We knew what we were doing and we were just nailing it every day. 
And it, it started to really get me to kind of lick my chops and say, geez, I get the big co-packer perspective on this. I can see why it is so attractive to run higher volumes of fewer things. Certainly. Certainly. Makes more sense. It's just, it's honestly, it's just the better business decision. But then you got to look and you got to say, well, I can't alienate the small guy. I came from, I am a small guy. Came from it, still am that. How in the hell am I going to alienate the small guy by only taking on big uh, products or big clients? No, we have to keep some versatility. There has to be some ability for us to allow that person that has a dollar and a dream to come into our plant and start their business. And, And honestly, and I think we do. As of right now, we have no barrier to that. You have a dollar, you have a dream, you have a recipe, you can come to us, we can make your product. Absolutely. What we did specifically in our production room is we kept one of our small kettles around. When I say small, it's a 36-gallon kettle. So we can run batches in there anywhere from 10 to 36 gallons. And we have our new equipment, our two uh, 100-gallon kettles and our four-headed piston filler where we can run our higher volume stuff so we can really accomplish both at the same time. But, you know, again, speaking about spending money and and really just being in a position of, like, you know, watching that bank account dwindle down and get nervous, investing in new equipment put us in some real – the investments we've made, not just the new equipment, but also we invested a lot in buying bulkier versions of our ingredients, buying more glass at a time, that was a whole nother thing through the pandemic was just shortages and delays on getting certain items in-house. We started buying bigger amounts of things, and it can be cash-intensive and scary for a small business. Absolutely. I think I've grown as a leader, too. I think in the early days, uh, one of the biggest mistakes I made was I wanted to be cool. You know, I, I would say one of the biggest flips I've made, period, as a leader was I had always worked best in an environment where I was set up to work autonomously, where I was kind of given my job and left alone and told, go ahead, you know, get it done. Um, Sorry, my car turned off automatically while I was recording this and my air conditioning turned off and now it's getting hot in here. I'm turning my car back on. (laughs) Sorry about the noise. Uh, yeah, so it, I, I had always worked best in a situation where it was like, just leave me alone, I'll get my job done, right? And so I didn't want to be micromanaged, and so I didn't want to do any micromanaging. And so pretty early on, I was setting people up, setting my employees up for what I thought was freedom. But in reality, I was setting them up for failure because I was bringing new employees in, giving them you know a little bit of training, food safety, and kind of showing them what to do for their job. But essentially not giving them very specific directions as to here is how you should spend your day almost down to the minute. And I didn't do that because it felt micromanagey. It felt like I wouldn't want someone to do that to me, so I'm not going to do it to anyone else. Well, what happened was I started to get frustrated with what I was perceiving to be and what was, quite frankly, inefficiencies in the way we were running our plant. Now, I still think if you walk in to this day, you're going to spot inefficiencies in the way we run our plant, but we're a lot better than we used to be. And on top of that, we used to be extremely inefficient. Inefficiencies probably exist anywhere. I bet you can go into big plants and and spot some inefficiencies. I mean, you can always work on your efficiencies. But but for us, you know, our inefficiencies, I I still think there's plenty to work on. But then, back then, really a couple of years ago, 
there were a lot of inefficiencies in the way we were doing things, and that was mostly set up to, or I would say chalked up to, me not being a good enough leader and giving people very specific directions. So I would have a vision as to how I wanted my plant to flow, but my guys would kind of just choose where they wanted to be. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? And they would just kind of, like, I might tell a guy, your job is to do ABC, please try to get ABC done. They might be like, okay, I hear you. I will spend some time doing ABC, but I kind of like doing D, E, and F. So I'm going to do D, E, and F too. And I'll get some ABC done, but I'm also going to get a lot of D, E, and F done. You see what I'm saying? That was what I was running into. And then at one point in late 2021, so this is really, this one lasted a long time for me to get good at this. We finally just kind of just kind of laid down the law and said to our team, this is your job. This is the exact requirements of your job every single day. This is what you do. You do not do D, E, or F. You only do A, B, and C. And as much as I was uncomfortable with that at first and thought that wasn't how I would want to be managed, it turns out that was the right move. And I had employees coming to me and saying to me, thank you for giving me clarity on what you're expecting from me. And in that moment, I realized, oh, my God, it's been all my fault. All my fault. Why that person felt that they could just do D, E, and F and kind of do A, B, and C was my fault for not telling them A, B, and C is your job, D, E, and F is not, A, B, and C only. And also explaining the general flow of the entire thing to them. Another big challenge, excuse me, has been, and this has been a huge one. I mean, this has been a challenge. This is this is putting people out of business. This has been such a challenge. Has been price increases. I mean, you're hearing about inflation. Everybody knows about gas, prices at the supermarket, et cetera, et cetera. Well, that shit is as real as real gets. And price increases are ridiculous ridiculous right now they're everywhere everything prices are going up on everything i'm telling you guys years ago you could lock in a price for a year and now you just can't do that now you can't lock in a price for a year now every time that item shows up at your dock and you get that invoice there, you got to look at that invoice and look hard because there's a good chance that price has changed. And 30-day, 60-day, 90-day notices, pff, please. I had a company deliver to me this week pallet of sugar, okay? This is a company that used to require a 30-day notice on all price increases. They delivered it with zero notice on the price increase. I reached out to Bitch to basically say, like, hey, uh, remember the 30-day notice you guys require? Well, how about giving a 30-day notice? And what I get back is, yeah, things are just too fluid to require or give notices at this time. Basically, what they were saying was, hey, bro, it's a shit show out there. Prices are all over the place. And guess what? They're not wrong. It is. It's tough to lock in a price with anybody right now. Quite frankly, most vendors won't do it, and they used to. It used to be you could sign 6, 12 months with somebody, and really a lot of times it used to be you'd reevaluate your pricing once a year. 
I mean, that's how it's always been was you would reevaluate what you're paying for things and what you're charging for things about once a year and make your adjustments. And instead, that has definitely become something you got to be looking at almost constantly, which has been a giant pain in the ass. And quite frankly, has made it really tough uh, on customers, too. You know, I've got customers I've had to raise prices on. They raise their prices. It, it squeezes, man. People are paying more. They're cutting back. Jars that used to retail for four, five, six dollars are now retailing for five, six, seven dollars. But long story short, we're getting better at what we're doing. And that's what makes me feel good about where I'm at and about where we're going. We're getting better at what we're doing. Are we perfect? No, we're not perfect, but we're getting better. When we're not good, we own it. And we know how to do the right thing. We know how to fix it and do the right thing. I'll give you a, a really recent example. We're, we have realized that when we run thin sauces, things where the viscosity is very thin, a watery type thing, uh, but not thin like water, okay? So there, there's sort of levels. So think of something like, think of water as, you know, the thinnest thing you're ever going to have is water, obviously. Thick would be something like a super, like, um, thick would be like a, like a really, really thick barbecue sauce, something that's almost syrupy like a barbecue sauce. And then there's the kind of the in-between, right? Pasta sauce is, is kind of thick but not ridiculous. And then we have some things we run that are like a barbecue sauce, but they're a little thinner, more like a marinade, right? Thicker than water but thinner than barbecue sauce. There's that little area right in there where it's thicker than water but thinner than barbecue sauce where we've learned that if we push the sauce into the bottle too hard – we actually introduce air to the bottle, and later we see the product appear to shrink. Well, the product hasn't shrunk in the bottle. It's that those little air pockets have 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 basically popped in there, and the product has settled down, and and uh, and and you know it loses like an inch, and so it looks like you underfilled the bottle. Long story short, well, we, this is a new one for us. We we basically just learned that this was happening. We had a client who the bottles looked underfilled. I called the client, told them what was going on. Client appreciated that. We figured out a way to fix it. We had it fixed within 24 hours. That's growth. That's growth as a business. Own it, fix it. Growth, obviously I'm not going to talk numbers here, but you see it in the bottom line. Growth. The clients who are coming through our door. Wish I could talk more candidly about that with you, but there's some confidentiality in place and naming names isn't always great. And I know they slip out from time to time. And there are some business owners who have given me the right to to name them anytime I want. Uh, you know, of course, my boy Howie at Sticky Lips loves one anytime we mention them. Uh, it's no secret we make Googliamos, Coach Tonys, right? But there's plenty of other brands I would love to be able to tell you we make, but just, you know, it's again, we just we have confidentiality in place in a lot of cases. Well, the caliber and size of who we're seeing come in uh, for new customers it has changed quite a bit. Bigger names, regional players, larger businesses. I love the, I love that we're able to serve that as well as still serving that guy with the dollar, the dream, and the recipe. I feel we've grown. I still think we have some growing to do, efficiencies to realize, investments to make. But I will tell you, it's been the most invigorating and rewarding two years of my life. I wouldn't change it for the world. I love what I do every single day. I pop out of bed. 
It is rare. My alarm is set for 4.30. I probably sleep until 4.30. Maybe, maybe once a week I will sleep until 4.30 a.m. I am almost always awake before 4.30, before I'm due to get out of bed because I can't wait to get to work. I love what I do. I love where we're heading with this business. I love the people I work with. I've never been happier in my life professionally. Do I have more gray hairs? Yeah, I do. Am I more stressed? Of course. But I'm having fun. Having fun growing a business. Tough, too. You know, I sit here and I go, oh, growing a business. I sit here and I go, you know, geez. I can I can look at it in so many different ways, and I can be like, God, we are in such great shape. We are in such great shape. Look at exhibit A, B, and C. Look at that. But it's tough, tough when you run a business because I can sit here and make the opposite argument. I can sit here and I can tell you, yeah, but look D, E, and F. Look at look look at example and exhibit D, exhibit E, and exhibit F. Oh boy, oh that doesn't look good. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to look at A, B, and C. I'm going to fix D, E, and F, and let's keep going, baby. Here's to two and many more years. Two more years, two more decades. Let's do it, baby.